Indie News Network, collaborative family of independent content creators. It's co-hosted normally by me, Indy. I'm founder and editor of Indie Left News and Indie Media Today. I got Reef Freeland sitting next to me. Uh, we're all founding, founding members, like I said. Of- CNN, the Indie News Network. Uh, my name is Jesse Jett. It's American tradition. What's up, Space Monkeys? Welcome to Political Fight Club. I'm Robert Durden. Go to Melensplain.com. Welcome to another episode of the show your parents warned you about. It's Reef Right to Dark. Guys, it's Tommy Nate with Tommy's Politics. I mean, I mostly make Gord Brian and... Big Man Crab Joe. Keep up those great videos. I'm Tatami of the YouTube channel Tatami's Diary. It's Andrew Rivera on the Handsome Cynic. Uh, stay high, everyone. Hey guys, it's Yeti. I'm coming at you. It's politics and survival. Hello, my name is Lucy from Blue Moon Red Wine. This is Chris Legion, and uh, peace out. Let's go. It says Colin too fancy. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that to me. Oh. Keep fighting that good fight out there, guys. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Who are these people? Well, hi, everybody. Uh, this is Indy. This is a really special episode of How Do We Miss That? And, and it's an INN investigative and special episode where we're going to have a fantastic interview with some, some, some people that are doing some incredible work. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them in right now. And these are this is welcome Alex and Jenna. And they have founded United for East Palestine with, with some other folks. And I, I think that we, it, it unfortunately doesn't need much introduction as to what's exactly happening or what happened, but I'm going to let, I'm going to let them, I really want to hand the microphone over to them, let them tell their story. I've got a few questions along the way, but I really want to use this, give this opportunity to United for EP to be able to, to, to share their story and to tell everyone what they can do, how they can help and, 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 and hopefully join and, and support this this wonderful effort because they need all the help they can get right now so um jenna alex it, uh, thank you for coming um i'm sorry it's under these circumstances of course um the first question that i had for you and and i guess we can start with jenna is so the train hits the train goes off the rails it starts leaking or whatever so how do you find out when do when do they tell you do you see it on the news how how, how did that process work did the town let you know how did what was yeah. that like um i actually don't i i would imagine it was social media i don't have cable so i don't watch the news um but i'd imagine i'd, I'd probably popped on to facebook and saw a post that shared about a train that derailed um in, in East Palestine, I live about 12 miles away from the derailment site, so not quite in ground zero, but not far enough away either. Um, so I had seen it on the day that it happened. So like it had made all of the local news stations. I think they all were posting them. Um, and yeah, it kind of went like there like all the fire departments like rushed in from all all around to to help and figure it out. And, um, I don't, it really like sat with me through that weekend. And I was like, what can we do to help? Because they had begun evacuating some people that were really close. Um, but as they started to discover that this wasn't just like a, I mean, I don't know, like a normal house fire or something. I think once they realized what, what might be going on, it got a little bit more extreme to where they decided to like knock on doors and tell people they needed to leave. Wow. But by that, by that like next Monday, I was like, they started doing a, a mandatory evacuation because I, I think they were going to do a controlled burn was the idea. Um, so they wanted to evacuate a mile radius. It was, it was a few days later that they decided they'd wanted to do this, but I had known that people had like seconds to leave their house before, you know, with all of the stuff happening. So wow. my goal, um, so I was like, I asked Emily, who's one of my really good friends. I was like, hey, I think I'm going to make like a Facebook group and really just try to help make sure like, you know, if these people don't have clothes or toys for their kids or, you know, different things as they had to just like up and leave everything really fast to stay safe, that we could come together as like a, a next next door neighbor community and just really bring resources together um, and get people what they needed to be comfortable while they had to, to be away. Uh, so I think that was like February 5th or February 6th um, when the, the group had started. Um, and then like this controlled burn started happening and and it took a while for people to 
tell everybody like what what actually was on the train um so i'll let alex take take it from there because well, he knows the fun details <laughs> My, my my next question is is when when they're telling you that you, that you need to evacuate where, where are they telling where are they taking you are they like telling you that you can go to xyz places they already made deals with or is it like a, a shelter or something that they've set up for residents or how, how yeah, did that so work people, the, i mean the people within the evacuation zone the red cross swooped in for for a couple of days um and they posted up like 1.1 mile away at the high school mm-hmm. um where could come to evacuate and they they did that um until the people were able to go back home other than that i think um you could potentially get reimbursed from the railroad company if you chose to like stay in a hotel i think most people went to stay with like family or somewhere nearby if they could but yeah the red cross was there for a few days um once they decided to open the train tracks again um so a train can't run through an evacuated town so they got the train up and running not too long after, brought everybody back home. Um, the Red Cross had left, took some money from Norfolk Southern and kind of just left people wondering what was happening. Um, they didn't can't get a ton run of a information. Tra- wow, can't run a train in an evacuated town. So there was even more financial you know, incentive to get people back into town and declare that it was safe enough if for no other reason than to start the rail going through there again. Wow. Holy crap. Um, Alex, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of talking, you know, Uh, I want to give you the microphone to, to kind of share, share your story and and your experience of, of what happened and, and what you've kind of been through so far and, and, Again, I'm really sorry for what you're going through. Um, I appreciate you being here, and um, and yeah, yeah. Let me l- let us know what what's happening. Well, yeah. Um, so I want to uh just say I don't live in the area of East Palestine. I live in Las Vegas. I <laughs> got in touch with Emily and Jenna because I am a solidarity member with Railroad Railroad Workers United, and I'm personally really interested in just trying to improve the rail system and the overall public transportation system in our society. So I'm part of their newsletter. And so I found out about this pretty quickly and I just Mm -hmm. have experience with organizing things and, you know, trying to get um, resources to people and mutual aid networks, et cetera. So I reached out on their Facebook page pretty early on and I was just trying to figure out if there was a way that I could help my original idea was maybe setting up a mutual aid network, getting resources to um, East Palestine, getting people out of East Palestine. Um, just because I, I I had some experience with doing that back in I don't know if uh, I'm dating myself here, but back with back in um, what was it Standing Rock during the the Standing Rock protests, yeah. we did some organizing to get mutual aid from you know, where I was at in California to there, and so I felt like maybe and I was aware that a mutual aid network formed around that so I thought maybe something like that might be necessary here so that that was what I originally reached out to do um fortunately that part I didn't really was really needed for because the community the broader community just just phenomenally showed up we've been mm. getting so much aid sent through the Facebook page and people reaching out to Jenna or Emily or myself that we literally aren't even sure what to do with some a lot of it sometimes because it's it's just so much uh, the way station shout out to the way station big ups to them have been phenomenal in being a sort of hub for a lot of the material aid water um etc that that's been coming in i also want to give a, a a big shout out to well, east palestine gets most almost all of the attention in terms of the media but it's important for people to know that east palestine ohio is one mile away from the border to Pennsylvania. Um, people right. in Pennsylvania are impacted by this just as much as people in Ohio are. And, you know, that they're often times forgotten about because everyone just hears East Palestine. They're not even aware of where that is on a map, uh, much less that it's that it's a mile away from Pennsylvania. Right. Well, and, and not just Pennsylvania, but that's also going to affect the entire real Northeast. I mean, it's going to spread northward, Buffalo, into New York State, et cetera. I mean, 
I'm with you on that as well. It, it definitely is not just a regional, but also a national issue uh, with all these trains that are now starting to derail. We had one in Alaska. It seems that every day now you're seeing these this raw story uh, on Twitter where there's some derailment happening here or there. Um, what was the EPA doing testing right away, uh, Jenna, uh, as far as... You know, I know they were testing basically for for vinyl chloride, or, or were they not? They were just testing for one thing, and then they weren't testing for dioxins. And everybody said something about dioxins, which is why I understand you guys are are doing in, looking for independent testing support. Correct? Yeah. So, um, so what happened was that the train didn't release all of like the whole manifest or whatever of all of everything that was on on that train um so the train derailed on february 3rd i think the super bowl was like february 10th or 12th um the only thing that i think was released was um that there was some petroleum like some uh yeah there was vinyl chloride and and something else there were like two things that were in there that were known um and the rest of it was kept top secret until during the Super Bowl then they they released what specifically was in all of the cars that were on fire um, but the EPA chose to test for certain things I think based upon those specific reports um, we've been partnered with Dr. Andrew Welton from Purdue and he came in pro bono um, <clears throat> And he came in and did what's called like a kitchen sink test. Um, mm -hmm. So the idea behind that was you have to test for everything. Um, so that way you can figure out what to test everywhere else. So like you got to test for everything, figure out what's highest. And like those are the things that you're going to test for in every other place. And a few of the, the chemicals that raised concerns um, the EPA had never tested for. Um, I think some of those were like acrylates. Um, a lot of them are, are very concerning. So there was the EPA and like the, the mayor and the governor were all like saying, hey, your water's safe and cheersing, drinking somebody's tap water in town when they weren't even testing for the right, the right things. Um, maybe they were the things to make the test look good. But yeah, so, so it's been an interesting ride with um, the community doesn't have a lot of faith in and the government officials and what they're testing for. Um, so the independent testing is something that is needed and deserved um, just based upon, they basically just dropped the ball on, you know, taking care of the primary people they should be taking care of or just Americans, right? Absolutely. If I could, if uh -huh. I could just speak on what you mentioned about in terms of the distance that these particulate could have traveled we're talking about a plume that from the projections that we have using high split which is the go-to state-of-the-art um, uh, model for getting estimates of how chemical dispersion happens by our our best models this created a plume that would have covered like you said all of the northeast from Ohio up through Ontario, Canada, New York, Connecticut, Maine, all the way up eventually to possibly even reaching Green Greenland. And the problem is we don't know what chemicals were produced inside the fire. And there has been absolutely no effort to find out what chemicals were produced inside the fire. But what we do know is there, there is a vast amount of evidence from video recordings in Ontario to um, – anecdotal accounts for people in Connecticut, New York, upstate New York, all over that area of people smelling chemical smells that are directly um, uh, exactly the same as the accounts of chemical smells of people who are 10, 5, 20 miles from East Palestine. So what we're talking about isn't like a small, isn't just like what's affecting East Palestine. We have there the TikTok was inundated with videos of snowmelt in Ontario, Canada from multiple people before the Canadian government suppressed all of it, showing snowmelt then with the exact same chemical sheen of what we were seeing in the rivers and creeks around East Palestine. 
the scale of chemical toxic chemical dispersion that's happened is it, it, it there's really nothing i can i can think of that can really be it, it can really be compared to uh, the, just for example when i say nothing to be compared to in the area around east palestine the level of death of um of the the fauna the a- other animals besides humans uh, around this area deer fish aquatic life insects bees it's it's not at a level of just a lot of them died it's at a level this is not this is not an exaggeration of a mass extinction and it is a gigantic amount of of damage that we really hasn't even really been looking into into exactly how how egregious the the short and long term damage of of the ecological Abil- of the uh, ability of of that area to support life is even going to be. It's crazy. And and is the government providing you with any water services, uh, any kind of clean water? In uh, what what are they doing? I mean, you can't boil this stuff. I I I don't know if you know, but uh, I'm sure you know. Erin Brockovich showed up in town. It was a big mm-hmm. big to do. She's actually been pretty pretty good in keeping the pressure on publicly. Uh, not sure exactly how you feel. I, I've been a fan of her Substack and and of hers for a while, and she's really been looking out for water for for all over the all over the country. She she was in Jackson and Flint and all over. Um, she was talking about the fact that you can't boil it, and there were resources about, but basically do your own independent testing because you can't trust the EPA. Was her stance as well because I know she organized that town hall and everything. Were were you at the town hall? Have you had a chance to? engage with her have you had any interaction with her i have not had any interaction with her um like i like i said i'm about 12 miles away i know she does say 50 miles around is is area to be concerned um Mm -hmm. i know a lot of the residents have have had um impact i think like or interactions with her um, and she's very knowledgeable and and draws really good attention, I think, to the to the situation. Um, as far as water, um, it is my understanding FEMA is just there. Um, they're not there in an emergency standpoint um, for disaster relief. Therefore, there's no government funding. Um, the The reason that there's no disaster declaration. Um, in my understanding, is because Norfolk Southern is taking responsibility and, and cleaning it up. Um, the people that are in the one one mile zone can can be temporarily evacuated right now, um, which took weeks and and a lot of pressure and a lot of media to even make happen while they're digging up some soil. But my understanding is all of the water that they're getting is coming from. Um, like our fellow Americans who are donating water. So um, same with air purifiers donated, some like Brita filters donated, different water purifications um, systems. We're working with a a gentleman to install some water purification systems into different homes with like the carbon filters to help provide a little bit of peace of mind. Um, Although I think we all know at this point that it's, it's probably still not safe for them to be in their homes. So yeah, probably. I mean, they were saying even bathing in it is is dangerous still at this point. Um, so that's wow. And then and then uh, I, I don't know. Were you were you born and raised? I I, I didn't ask the question. How, how long have you lived in East Palestine? Were you do, have you lived there your whole life? Were you born and raised? I was you know. I'm just wondering. You yeah. know, go ahead. Um, for the majority of my life, I've, I've lived in Northeast Ohio, um, in right, like the general vicinity, vicinity of, of that area. Um, so yeah, I've, I've like been away for a couple years, but I've always seemed to find my way back. I mean, uh, one of the things that unfortunately, you know, the homeowners, the people who own homes and have jobs, I mean, this is one of the things that I keep coming back to in my own head is, you know, you've got to go to work. And the area is possibly toxic and contaminated, allegedly, quote unquote. I mean, you know, we don't we don't really know. 
and this is where your your home, your livelihood, all of your financial investment is is already located. Your family's here. I mean, they they poisoned your town. What do you what do you do? Uh, I, I don't even. I'm I'm so glad you you're organizing your you know residents to kind of share knowledge and resources because I I can't even imagine what and it could happen anywhere. That's the that's the scariest part to me is this could happen anywhere to any town and. We need to let everybody know that this could happen and there needs to be more of a plan in place. We need to do more to help you um, and to have a readiness plan in place so that when this happens more often, because we know it's going to, unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. we can take care of the people and not have their home values completely deteriorated. And, you know, there are people's conspiracy, whatever it's, you know, that think that that's actually part of the whole thing. Northbrook Southern, this has been a, a key hub, and there was questions about all of that. Uh, I don't want to get into the politics of it because you guys are dealing with with the reality of this every day. Um, yeah, know, I mean, uh, we we've met some people that they can't retire now. Like <laughs> their home, their home has depreciated in value so much that you know we have sixty five year old people who have earned their right to retire who who can't um, because they can't sell their house for what it was worth. And even if they sold it for what it's listed at, who's going to buy it? Um, exactly. So. Yeah. That's but that, Alan, that, Shaw, Alan Shaw's sorry. So he's really sorry this happened. Yeah. Yeah. We know <laughs> he's, he's like, real sorry. It, uh, it, also, if I could just a um, couple things I just wanted to, to, to note was, first of all, um, we do know that, this area is not safe. That's not something that we don't know. That is something we do know. We know that because we have um, actual data showing us that the number of people who are reporting daily that they are smelling intense smells of toxic chemicals has not decreased. In fact, today, the reports are that people are smelling it worse than ever because of the cleanup. So we know for a fact that people are being exposed to these toxic chemicals. We know these chemicals are toxic. We know that for a fact. And we know that people are being exposed to them because they're smelling it. So those are two things we do know. The things that we don't know are exactly what chemicals they're being exposed to. And the reason we don't know them is because the EPA has been deliberately obfuscating um, and running cover for Norfolk Southern because as long as we don't know exactly what chemicals they're being exposed to, then it it's difficult to prove legally that these people have been harmed and that's the whole point that's what it's all about it's all about running cover for norfolk southern to protect them and it's not just about the money because i mean everyone because there's going to be a lawsuit and the norfolk southern is going to shell out however many millions of dollars and the the lawyers will collect their their pound of flesh and the people will get their 1600 2000 3000 whatever petty amount of money that the norfolk southern can be made to part with in the legal system but that's i don't think that's really the issue people should be concerned with the problem is that felonies were committed the problem is Mm. aggravated arson is a felony poisoning is a felony a conspiracy to cover up any of those felonies is also a felony. Anybody participating, anyone with knowledge that these people have been poisoned, who is actively participating in covering up that these people have been poisoned, is committing a felony. Everybody who is aware that Norfolk Southern set all these other things on fire that they did not have any permission to do, which caused harm to people, and is covering that up and helping them covering up, is committing a felony. All of these people are committing this this is not a white collar crime it's white collar in the sense that only somebody in a corporate position could possibly do this and get away with it but it's not white collar in the sense of it's like a it's like a oh there's some person embezzled billions of dollars from stealing from millionaires that's not that's not the issue this is a level of damage that is being done to life that is the is no less and in fact considerably greater than what have already been adjudicated in international courts as a war crime. This is the sort of thing that a smaller, a much smaller version of this was was used as a pretext to for the United States to go into Syria and actively attempt to overthrow their their government because they were accused of gassing people. That is what is happening. 
They have just gassed, exposed millions of people throughout the entire Northeast to a toxic cocktail of chemicals. And we don't even know what that toxic toxic cocktail of chemicals even is, and they're not even trying to find out. And the reason they're not trying to find out is because as long as they don't test, as long as they don't do the test and find out what chemicals they are, they can pretend they aren't there. And they did that intentionally. They did that bird intentionally. They knew what they were doing when they did it. It's not that- 100%. there was Absolutely. negligence or that they that they didn't know what was going to happen. Um, Absolutely not. No, it, these, these, none of these things are secrets. It's not a secret that if you burn um, the – just for instance, just the paint that's on, that's, on the, that's on the train cars. It's not a secret. Like that's – we know that that makes a certain amount of dioxins, just for example. Like mm-hmm. there's not a, these, these people – and in fact, the reason we know this is because Aaron Bragg, one of our team members – Big up to Aaron Bragg. He's phenomenal. Uh, actually did an interview with Status Quo, which I suggest you all check out if you listen to this. Um, and he detailed how he is aware because he is he. this is what he does for a living. He's one, someone who knows how about how toxic chemicals are transported in train cars. And they're supposed to get a update, a manifest of exactly what's in the train cars as it's burning. Like, But they didn't. They didn't send that out. Um, and then by... First of all, there is all kinds of rigmarole regarding who is actually taking responsibility for saying, yeah, set the vinyl chloride on fire. When we, we know that um, through the, the actual chemistry of vinyl chloride, even though this isn't being talked about, um, there is a lot of reason to conclude that there was, there was no actual danger of that vinyl chloride exploding at all. And the people who were transporting it knew that. Because the people who are transporting it know how vinyl chloride works. So all of the, all of these things are – and then – but even then, there was only one car of vinyl chloride that was actually burning. So why did they set five cars of vinyl chloride on fire? Why did they set frozen vegetables on fire? Why did they set all this other stuff on fire? None of that was – there was no danger of any of that exploding. So even by – even if they were given consent by the fire department to, to burn one car of vinyl chloride, what about all of the rest? All of the rest was not part of that. So why did they do it? Obviously, they knew that it would that it would create poison. It was it's poison in itself. There's no reason to release it. The only reason that I can think of is one because it helps them get the train car on fire, uh, their, their their train back on track faster, and more importantly, possibly the fact that they are insured for damages to um to 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 materials that aren't just being thrown away. So. In terms of how their insurance works, there's probably a very good reason for them to just burn everything rather than have to worry about cleaning it up and all the damages that would cause because then they have to worry about, one, shelling out money because it's still being – toxic chemicals are still being released, so it's not to worry about the lawsuit, and that's probably not going to change very much just based on how much of it it is. So why not just burn everything and make up the losses with the insurance? I, I can't say for certain that that's what's happening, but I do know that there's enough information that it deserves to be looked into. Well, there certainly sounds like there's there's a lot there. Um, I'm going through the website right now, just so everybody knows. This is this is donorbox.org. If you go to twitter.com/slash/united4ep, you can get to uh, their Twitter page, and there's a link there to this. I'll put it in the description as well when we put this out, so you'll be able to click on it and support. There's a way to donate to learn a little bit more about what's going on there. There's a video for the Independent Science Fund. I encourage everyone to please subscribe to their YouTube channel as well. As they learn more, I'm sure they're going to be putting out more on that YouTube channel. Um, and and, and let, let's do all we can. Um, then let's talk about the, the, you know, the, the corporate-controlled media. I don't like to use the word mainstream because... To me, it's all a corporate narrative. There's nothing mainstream about it. What's mainstream is people actually caring about their neighbors. And what's mainstream is the minute people hear about how badly this has been botched and and how badly you guys have been treated, they want to do something and they want to help and they get angry with their government. That to me isn't mainstream. It's corporate controlled and it's a corporate narrative. So the corporate controlled media has been mum to silent to what? I mean... um, from the large networks to the 24-hour cable news networks, I know there was like a, a, a CNN push, and then when when Aaron Brockovich came to town, MSNBC was there for a day. And basically, have they have they stayed? Have they reported on anything since? Have they have they? There was like a solid week. It was three weeks after the derailment when I think we got some really good coverage across. Um, 
like uh, Fox, CNN. Um, I think I was on like 10 to 12 interviews in a week um, mm -hmm. with different big news networks. Um, and every day I had, you know, can you send me somebody else? Can you send me somebody else from all of these different networks? Because once they have your number, that's what they, they want more people to interview. Hmm. Um, but since since then, um, it's been, you know, independently owned networks that have reached out um, like yourself. Um, you know, that's that's what we've gotten on. Um, we've been pretty booked with some of that because of Twitter and different exposure. But um, I don't think the mainstream media or corporate owned media hmm. <laughs> is covering it um, nearly as much as they should be. Um, but there's also, it seems to be a very um, consistent shareholders um, amongst some of that media, as well as the, the railroad company. So, yeah, I could have some of that. Um, now, I, I don't know if you if you heard this, but over at INN, we, we not only cover news, we've also got a musical director who is a resident genius, singer, songwriter. He also writes some spoken word. And I don't know if you've seen this, heard this. I wanted to play it for you. It's three and a half minutes. He wrote a spoken word piece called Super Sight, Children of the Fuselage. That's all about East Palestine and what's happened to you guys. And um, and I, I, if you hadn't heard, I wanted to play it for you and for everyone else that's that's watching so let me let me do that real quick and hopefully you'll be able to hear it. A hundred thousand pounds of vinyl chloride burned into the air and in the water with your fluoride. Today we'll demonstrate the role that profit plays in cost benefit analysis to find the worth of your lives. Mind you, we'll be grading on a curve that traces dead fish on the shoreline. Today, the town of East Palestine will know the skies of wartime, wear the shoes of Palestine, and know the smell of war crimes. Their pets and livestock will be corpses for the war shrine. This is how you sanction all your farmland in the Fourth Reich. I'm honestly surprised that Pete addressed it in a fortnight. He praised the first responders, but ignored the looming morgue line. Like focus on the cavalry, ignore that every horse died. Never mind there's not a single cricket, bird, or horsefly, just triclops in the triage tent who expedite the four-eyed. Norfolk taking pages out the north woods, north side, add a dash of NORAD, plant a row of soil mines, give them lots of black skies and water bright with oil shine, and you can propagate the kind of crop that gates will normalize. Save your time and give up ever going back to normal life. Norfolk cut its cost, and now this nation pays the morbid price. Norfolk waived the loss as purely human, so they rolled the dice, knowing Biden had their backs when workers tried to unionize, knowing all their lobbyists assure they won't be scrutinized, and knowing that the tiny little fine they might be hit with is a part of doing business when your business is to euthanize, to salt the earth liquidate the brutalized, drench the plains in acid rain, and blame it all on rural mines. Tell them that's just what they get for voting red, and old team blue will fall in step and shake their heads and disconnect from humankind. They're never looking up, their fingers point to you and I. Thanks to years of being trained to frame the little guy. They've seen the film enough to tell you where the blame should lie. The poorest family's EBT card was the mastermind. Those little houses won't concern the liberal passerby. They had their dose of NPR. The passive voice will cast aside your raspy breath and swollen eyes, your burning cough that won't subside, your cat that didn't last the night, that pall of death, that blackened sky, the harvest faced in 10 years' time that reaps the waste of wealthy crimes, a million-gallon deep decline through super sites and party lines, through hurried graves and leaded pipes, past poisoned slaves and slaughtered tribes, past forgotten treaties that we authored, then we compromised. Past our moral fabric, ever brittle, gray, and fossilized. Past the mass of plastic trash that's just this side of ossified. And if you find one root that thrives, the living proof of fruitful vines, just hold it close. Take in the sight. Don't plant a host for parasites, who in the name of corporate gain see all that murder justified. We're such a waste of insect paste, and so much cheaper crucified. We're children of the fuselage, ghosts of all the food deprived. Echoes of the working class whose crystal knocked was supersized. 
Out in Ohio, birds are drowning where they stand. Their eyes reflect a world event that devastates the land. And it's a tale of regulations disemboweled by prophet's hand and their viscera that soaks like so much chloride in the sand. So that that was Jesse Jett's um, uh, super site. Um, that will be available on Spotify and Bandcamp on Tuesday on a new album that, that will be released for Spoken Word. Uh, but I did want to to play that for you. I didn't know if, if you'd heard it. Um, he's genius, man. He, you know, he, yeah. he, he, he knows how to, yeah, it, it, it hurts. I know. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry about that. Um, but I, I, I thought it was important that, you know, people do care and they're writing about this and it has effect and it is affecting people everywhere. And we, we are seeing this and we're trying to scream from the rooftops, at least in independent media about what's happening to you and what could happen to any of us? Like I said, this is this is not anything that is unique to East Palestine. Um, one thing you know, you, you mentioned Alex that you work with the Rail Workers United. That that was Jesse. Something Jesse mentioned about about you know the the rail workers getting their contract. You know, the ability to strike was voted down by Congress. Part of this. I know it has to do with the precision scheduled railroading. We have been covering on how do we miss that? The long standing issues with the railroad workers and the rail companies, the gouging, the amount of record profits that they've been making while cutting back on the number of crews and what they're doing to these to, to the rail workers. Um, fewer people for more cars every every month or every year, it seems. Um what are you hearing from the people that you're speaking with at RWU? Uh, I, I, I'm a solidarity member with RWU. I'm not like part of RWU. I don't, I'm not mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I don't, I'm not a rail worker, so I can't, I, I can communicate with them. And, but I'll be honest with you. I've been kind of consumed by this, that I haven't been doing a lot of communication with RWU, but what I do know is that they have been really phenomenal about, they have, released an entire like step-by-step process of how to fix the railroads and how to make sure this never happens again and that's that's the real issue with this is that this was so unnecessary like nothing about this was unavoidable like all of this i'm sorry you guys are seeing how trashed up my garage is um all of this was entirely and i spoke to someone recently who had knowledge of of systems like this and what he said to me that stuck with me was the the train derailed because it could and because there was no one there who was responsible to make sure it couldn't and that's that's basically the summation of it is these rail these these trains are going to keep coming off their rails because we aren't dedicated as a society to make sure that they don't and as long as we continue to allow these corporations to destroy our society and our ability the ability of our planet and of our soil and our forest to support life so that they can continue to reap more and more egregious profits just to concentrate them into the hands of a very small group of people as long as we allow them to do that they're going to keep they're going to keep doing it and all, all, every, every way to cut cost is just a way for them to boost their profits because they can't increase the amount of money they bring in. That is going to stay pretty constant. The only thing they can do to increase the amount of money that they themselves take is to cut costs wherever they can, whereas laying people off, not hiring more, not keeping the number of employees as small as possible so as not to make sure not to, not to have any of that money be put into the hands of the working class to cut regulations so as to make sure that all of the costs of safety equipment of making sure things don't go wrong that's an unnecessary expenditure into their profits it makes to make sure that they have as much of of the money that comes in and is concentrated into their hands as possible everything else is as as so said so eloquently in that poem just the cost of doing business 100% of 
all everything that is every, 100% of every single derailment is avoidable. There's not a single train derailment that couldn't be avoided. And every train that does derail only derails because it is allowed to derail because the the measures that can be taken to ensure that it can't won't be are simply not being taken. And that will always that will continue to happen for as long as we allow it to happen and collectively decide that we're just not going to do anything about it. And that is, I think, something that we can decide not to do. And and who's responsible for the track itself? Uh, you know, because I know that there's there's that type of complication about are the private rail companies also responsible for the tracks underneath them? Or is that local municipalities, states with under federal funding? I, I'm not even sure, honestly, how that works, but I've been told that it is more complicated than just the rail company paying to fix the the actual rail the, the actual rails itself because that it's involves actually, mm-hmm. go no go on go on yeah. I, was, I was going to say that it's actually not that complicated the railroads are privately owned that's the real problem honestly in my view is that yeah okay it, we in, in, in any other case of, of, of mass national transit, the government, U.S. government, is directly involved. Whether it's airlines or freeways and interstates, highways, uh, all, all uh, any any kind of uh, rivers, um, boat, it, it, like oh, uh, um, um, ships from like the oceans, any any right. any, any where we're, we're we're bringing in massive amounts of of people or supplies, the the government is directly involved. And it in the case of the railroads, it's it's not. Um, the, the United States government does is very hands off with the railroads in terms of what they're allowed to do and how they're allowed to operate. They're almost, in, which is why our railroad systems are so terrible. Our, the United States, because there's no profit, the profit, the return on investment of uh, on giving on making sure our railroads are high functioning and are able to distribute resources in a way that allows people to have access to them safely and allows people to travel cheaply that doesn't benefit the railroad companies that would be a cost to the railroad companies now it would benefit society it would benefit the people living who live here it would benefit our ability to move resources from one place to another instead of having to worry about much more expensive and much less efficient things like like trucks um and airplanes if we had a rail system that was designed to cheaply and efficiently and safely move product and people from one place to another. But that would require an investment that wouldn't necessarily benefit the railroad companies because it wouldn't help the people who control them profit, control, uh, reap the most profits, which is their only That's their only, their only motivation is the, quarterly, is the quarterly profits against Wall Street because of who they're owned by or the fact that they are publicly traded themselves. Um, there were a couple of questions that I had from, from other INN members. Uh, the, the biggest one was of course, how can we help? And I think a lot of that has, has to do with getting the word out as well as, as the donor box website and, and letting, you know, sharing on social media and, and, and donating themselves, um, and, and getting other people to, to share and donate. Um, the other question was going to be, and that was from Lucy who has protested at AOC's uh, office, uh, or, you know, at, at some of the town halls with with Rashida Tlaib and some of these other politicians, she's been she's been big about registering as as an independent to kind of tell the duopoly politicians that look, they they don't have total control over this. That there there will be a third option. That there will be a challenge to their power. And she wanted to ask if there were ways if, if there was. Any chance that you would be willing to make a statement on any kind of independent registration effort as opposed to uh, aligning with with either of the two two major parties, you know, doesn't seem like like they're really helping the people um, doesn't seem like they're helping the railroad, the, the, the railroad workers. They're aligning with the railroad companies, you know, that from what we can see a bipartisan issue it's not one political party or the other it's just coming together as people helping people like that's what has to be acknowledged um if you look and i know you were digging into some of the rail safety that train that derailed in east palestine was it's it's there's evidence that that train was on fire for at least 40 miles before it got there 
So like the system is broken and it's going to take each and every one of our voices to talk to whoever and everybody that we can um, to make a difference and make a change because the way it's set up now is nothing's changing. Um, it's just going to get, you know, buried under the soil with all of the other oil that's, that's sat down there for a month um, and hoping for the best outcome. So like everybody has a voice, everybody has an email address, start emailing your politicians, email Alan, Alan Shaw, um, email the stakeholders at Norfolk Southern, like whatever you can do, whoever you can get in front of, like we have to make change and the change is for, you know, not just us, but the future, right? It's broken. Yeah. We've, we, we got to fix this um, because it's going to keep happening and, and we don't want it to keep happening. Obviously um, the soil ends up getting destroyed crops, wildlife, like you said, and and then on top of that, it messes with people's livelihoods, with their homes, with their families on top of all of. And that, that was the last question that I had was, and I'm guessing because the government's not even doing anything about water or anything else because they're saying that Norfolk Southern is, quote unquote, cleaning this up. Healthcare, doctors, anything, you know, I, I, I've heard of people having rashes and breathing issues and all kinds of of questions about that already um yep. has anything been offered to help you go oh and, and then i had one other question but but i definitely wanted to ask about that well yeah i mean that from a medical aspect it's been the like nobody um in local medical offices is trained to handle anything um they don't know what to test for toxicologists are hard to come by um, so most of them get turned away or um, some people, I, I've heard that medical offices have been told that they cannot diagnose chemical um, chemical pneumonia or whatever else there is out there, chemical rash, chemical burn. Um, they can't diagnose it unless they're within a certain um, area. Um, that would be the only reason that maybe they could diagnose it. But if you're like 1.01 miles outside, you you can't get diagnosed with it. They threw up like a makeshift clinic in the in the town um, that had people there that would maybe give you referrals somewhere, but they couldn't really do anything. Um, it was really just to press like to like for the press. Hey, we put up a clinic, and um, everybody that we've seen on posts about the clinic have pretty much laughed at it and said it was useless. Um, and like I said, just done to make it look like they're doing something to try to help. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a really sad and unfortunate situation. We have people getting diagnosed with COPD who have never touched a cigarette um, because they don't live close enough to be diagnosed with anything else. So unreal. Um, and then our labs stopped testing, um, doing blood for dioxins. Um, there were like certain labs that you could run that could test if you've been exposed to dioxins. Um, but all of the labs, uh, they have affiliation with some of the same uh, st like shareholders as the railroad. So it's interesting. Oh what a mess. I, I, on that note, I want to give big shout out to oh, yeah. Dr. Beatrice Galam of University California San Diego, who reached out to us and is she's the she uh, for those who don't know who Dr. Beatrice Galam is, she is one of the more respected medical researchers on the issue of toxic chemical injury in the United States. She was what she's one of the premier researchers uh, on Gulf War illness. For those of you who aren't familiar, it is the toxic chemical injury that was given by the United States to soldiers and Marines and other troops um, during the Gulf War because they had them take a certain medication to as a way for them to treat exposure to a certain type of toxic gas. Um, and then they found out that it actually caused them to get sick. It's called Gulf War illness. She had reached out and is sort of leading our medical research team uh, for the United States Palestine sort of research team hub that we're, we've built and she uh is we're that's another one of the other things that we need funding for is that all of those things getting phlebotomists getting blood tests 
everything about this requires a certain amount of money and it's just not going to happen if we don't get funding. But I, I think that we, even without funding, there's a lot we can do and a lot that I think we are doing. And I think one of the big steps that we can take to get to where we need to be to get the research done, even though every day that ticks by is time wasting because these chemicals are breaking down, there's nothing we can do about that. What we can do, I think, is really try, because as, 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 as you've pointed out, as, as Jenna pointed out, um, the the clinic was was all PR, um, and, and as I think you both pointed out, it's 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 the the whole story that has been sold by the corporate media and by Norfolk Southern is all just a guy gigantic PR show to show these to, to make a put a good face on it, and I think the first the, the the most important step to getting beyond that to actually getting people evacuated to getting the government to admit first of all that there is actually a problem which is one of the real which is one of the other big i mean that which is which is a, a major barrier to getting people evacuated for two reasons one because if they don't admit there's a problem then there's not going to be the resources to evacuate them but two they're gaslighting these people and gaslighting everyone and saying there's a problem makes people feel like they don't need to evacuate even though they're experiencing these symptoms they might not necessarily have the medical knowledge to know what it means that they're experiencing these symptoms what it means that if you're experiencing the task what we had dr galam on 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 a community call where she gave very important information about how there can be so many unpredictable secondary autoimmune effects from having these toxic chemicals interacting with your body that are impossible to really predict and can only be studied and measured after the fact and all of that is not being talked about. But the thing is, the people in government, they know all of this. I know about this because I uh, – because and Jenna knows about this, and maybe you know about this now, and people listening to this know about this now because I'm telling you because I've been told by a medical researcher. But they have their own medical researchers. They have decades. They have all of the – of 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 the combined medical and scientific knowledge of – the largest industrial world power that has existed for the last hundred years. They have all of that available to them. They know. They know way better than we do how, yeah. how damaging this is. They know way better than any of us do what, what sort of dangers people are being exposed to. They know, and they are intentionally obfuscating and intentionally hiding that fact. And the only way that we are going to get them to admit it is – by shining a light on it and what we need i mean we're, we're doing the best we can but we need people who have voices to come in not 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 come in and have a big show and press conference and then leave we need people who have large platforms to come in and speak to the community and help members of the community uplift use their platforms to uplift the voices of the people in those communities to organize and listen and learn from the people who are adding value within this community who and work all work together there are so many people dr galam uh, professor welton from purdue we've got people from all over the united states who have who have been trying to come together to get real data on where this is going and how far it's spreading and building models and this is this this is just what a small team has been able to do there are other organizations and other groups who are who are doing their own thing but we need to come together and what we need is people who have large platforms to come in to find out what's going on so that when 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 you're actually saying what's happening it's not coming from a place of I'm this person and I'm just coming in and I'm using this opportunity as a way to expand my voice. Not saying that's what anybody's doing. I'm just saying not doing it that way and coming in with respect, treating these people, treating the pe everybody in involved as human beings, the basic respect of a human being and giving people the opportunity to really show if they want to what's happening, but also letting the people, everybody who is, who is potentially – impacted by this not just people in these palestine and the surrounding areas there's people in ontario canada who are reporting the same symptoms that we know that because we, we conducted a, a survey uh a, a informal survey around the area people around the area we know what symptoms people are, are experiencing so i speak with full knowledge that when the people who have all spoken to in ontario canada are reporting the exact same symptoms that is not coincidence and we need the data to be able to 
back that up. We need to we need to be able to show this, this is happening and to expose that information and people to see that. And the only way that we're going to get that, get that voice, get that word out, is for people with platforms to spread that word and to allow people who have who are part of who are experiencing this to not just come in and, and just share their experiences, but really try and listen and work together to making this give treating this as a as a as I mean, this can't keep happening. We have at some point we have to decide collectively that we're not just going to allow this to happen. That we're going to do something. That we're going to stop this from happening. And I think we have an opportunity to make that now. You know, but we have we have to decide to. Yeah. How many how many members are in the in the group now or in the in the um, in the total mutually this group that you've assembled? We're a little bit over. I think like 8,200. Wow. It's pretty big. In a short period of time, it grew really fast. Wow. Which just shows that there's a need for it. So that's incredible. Um, And you're obviously doing this on your own time. You all have, you, you have lives, families, and jobs and things that were going on before your town, you know, before, before a trade decided to go off the rails. Um, what's that like? I never realized I I was picking up a second full-time job, but here we are. (laughs) Um, it needs to be done and I'm happy, happy to be a part of something that's really big and can hopefully impact, you know, the whole, the whole country. Um, And essentially the whole world, because eventually all of this stuff in one way or another is going to travel, you know, all around. So the more we can help now can help, you know, for maybe prevent the next time or a better response the next time or, you know, um, just better regulations educate the people as to what they can potentially prepare for like you said so so if and when it does happen in their town they at least have a, a template a, a playbook to to look at to say okay here's and nobody's going to get everything right we're going to figure out where where there were mistakes made also and we can we can make adjustments but uh, i have the the twitter page up right now for united for east palestine it's at united for ep all of the social medias everywhere. I believe you also have an Instagram page. And then there's a Facebook group, uh, United for East Palestine. And then the link for the donor box where you can donate and get more resource information, which will lead to this website here, the Independent Science Fund. I encourage everybody, please go share this with everybody that you know. Um, any other shout outs, any other links that we should be sharing, anything else that, that you would like to plug or or anyone else that, that we should be uh, spotlighting? Yeah, the only, um, the one person that I might have mentioned at the beginning is um, Professor Welton from Purdue. Mm-hmm. He's at the Welton Group on Twitter. Is that right? Um, okay, I see a nod. Um, so at the Welton Group on Twitter, he um, he's been doing some independent testing with the folks from Purdue, um, and it's really brought some quick change from like dealing with OSHA and just getting some workers regulation change. So, you know, the the head of the EPA came on after one of Dr. Walton's reports and and told people to stay away from the streams. You know, keep your kids out, which wasn't done before he started posting some of his preliminary results. Um, That is where a lot of the funds that we collect will be going is to continue to support efforts such as his, but he's really, um, he's really an awesome guy. Um, He comes here, takes time away from his family as well. He has three boys. Um, He's actually in town this weekend. I met him for dinner tonight, Um, but he's doing some testing we put out some interest forms for people who wanted testing that weren't able to get it. So we, we tracked down some people, sent them on a hunt, you know, for just different water samples. It's going to be swiping some, some different things to this time around. So I would just encourage you all to follow along with him too on Twitter. Um, he also, I think maybe has a separate GoFundMe, but he's one of the, the people we're trying to help out and, and keep him here because people like, um, Professor Welton are 
are why we've like why we found out what we found out and we need more of him so yeah absolutely also, shout out to uh river valley organizing shout out oh, to review yeah. yeah yeah they've been really great um amanda's awesome mm -hmm. a shout out shout out to devin oship she is uh she put together a really awesome team of, of scientists and, and researchers. She's like a data entry genius. Um, I, I think the work that she's doing can have a real, real awesome long-term impact in helping us figure out how to mitigate this. Shout out to Aaron Bragg, as always. Big up to Aaron Bragg. He's just been phenomenal. Um, shout out to Status Coup. You know, they've, 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 they've been an independent media site. Um, and um, Lewis, particularly Lewis from Status Coup. Yeah who has been putting himself directly um, in, in, in position to in the impact zone. He's been breathing it all in. He's been out there talking to people, giving people a voice. Shout out to Lewis from Status Quo. Um, big up to um, all, all, all anybody in media who's helped people help, help give people a voice. Um, shout out, shout out to, to JD Vance. You know, I, 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 do, I do, I'm not a, I, I don't, I don't really care for, for for politicians in general, but JD Vance was one of the first people to 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 give to to actually first politicians, major politicians, to actually take to social media and show the pollution in the creeks. I wasn't a big fan of what he said in terms of like trying to race bait on this and turning it into a, an issue of them being white. I, I think that's ridiculous. And we've had people reach out to us on the Facebook group from uh, who who in their own communities has happened to. This is not something that it's it's not about what your what your forefathers where your forefathers came from it's about how much money you have and that's that's the only thing that, that they care about um it's a class issue uh if 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 you want to coin it that that way um but yeah shout out uh shout out to to AOC who actually said on the floor of congress that this was a crime scene um shout out to Nina Turner, who for a while was speaking up on this. It'd be great to have Nina Turner actually come to the community. And uh, she, I know she's from Ohio. It'd be great to have, have her actually come in and not, not just, you know, not, not to come and give speech, but actually listen to people um, and, and hear what, what the experiences are and, and find out um, how, she, how she can help. I, I think possibly she really cares. Um, shout out to, uh, shout, shout out, shout out to, to anybody and every and shout out to all the people who have been putting, sending uh, water and supplies um, from the, through the Facebook group or anywhere else. Shout out to the Way Station for for being a, an awesome hub of, of of resources. Shout out to um, shout out to you. Shout out shout out to Christy. Shout um, I'm sorry, Misty. Shout out to Misty, Misty. On the, for, mm. for Misty from um, at Sarcastic Stardust. First person in indie news to have us on. She has put us out. She's been getting us so many people who never thought who would, would give us time of day, who have been, like, I reached out to put us on their show so we can put the messages out. Um, shout out to the guys that do Dissidents. They had it, we had us on today or yesterday. Um, shout out to you, Indy. Um, shout out to everybody um, who who is helping to spread the word about this. And um, shout out to all people, uh, of course, of in East Palestine and surrounding areas and uh, everybody dealing with this and trying to figure out how to, make things um at least not so terrible yeah yeah and and i also wanted to uh to make mention of jeremy lafredo from the gray zone and addy ads from one addy ads also independent reporters that have been on the ground in east palestine interviewing residents uh and putting themselves in harm's way like you said shout out to all all the independent reporters that are doing that and and, and of course jenna um and unfortunately, Emily was was unable to join us tonight. Thank you to to you two or, or to you three for doing all this organizing, for spending all of your time to educate the rest of the the community, to educate the rest of the country and the world about what's happening. To take your time to to do that, that's that's tremendous. Uh, we need we need more people like you as well. Um, so, so really appreciate you spending the time tonight to to talk with us at, at Indie News Network, and, and and how do we miss that? We, you know, we we have been covering what the the mix between corporations, profit and greed, the impact on the environment, what's happening with the rails, 
the squeezing of working class and the squeezing of workers in general, where the pay doesn't go up, but the responsibilities continue, the benefits continue to get cut. And we've seen all of this kind of converge on the East Palestine story together. And and we're definitely going to keep keep the pressure on. We're going to keep the word out there. We're going to continue to, to talk about this with our other friends in independent media as well. And uh, and again, thank thank you so much for your time tonight. Again, Jen, if there's anybody else you wanted to to give mention to, I know you you, you wanted to shout out your do- the doctor um, from Purdue for sure, Doctor um, Welton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alex Gottemal. Um, All right. <laughs> yeah, we got we have one heck of a list. So, yeah, that's great. It's been, uh, it's been rewarding to see there are good humans in the world. Um, and they're just here to help other people. So, and thank you part. for not hanging out in a bar on St. Patrick's Day and coming to talk to me instead here. So, yes. uh, and, we'll, and we'll cut it off there. And, and I'm going to say thank everybody for for spending the time to listen. Please share the links. Please donate to East Palestine to, to to United for East Palestine to any of these relief funds, but specifically for this independent testing, so that we can prove that Norfolk Southern is trying to hide this, what actually they did with the burn, and so that people can get the relief and the help that they actually need. Um, again, thank you so much to, to, to Alex and to Jenna and to everybody at United for East Palestine, and we'll see you soon. This has been Indy, and my, like I say, always question everybody's motivation, and have a great night, everybody.